Good morning. It's a pleasure to greet you in the name of Jesus. And I had to smile just a little bit when Milo prayed for physical strength there because he knows, um, I told him this morning that, you know, so a lot of times Saturday night before I need to share, I don't sleep that well. And I usually get up kind of early on Sunday morning to um, pray and finish preparing. Well, last night I had the great idea to take some melatonin. Well, that's not a bad thing. Well, apparently I took a little too much. So at three o'clock, it was not out of my system. So um, if nothing makes sense, (laughs) no, I think um, God has been speaking to me and working in me and A lot of the things that I'm sharing are things that I'm wrestling with, things that I believe God has for us. Um, A little bit of a deep dive or or a a broad overview, maybe that's opposite, but into life and in the purpose and meaning of life. So when I think of the purpose of life, I usually go back to what my childhood dreams were and think about um, what, what was important to me. And, you know, I'm getting closer to that middle age mark. And um, when you get there, you tend to sort of analyze your life and think, well, how am I doing? Am I accomplishing those goals? And obviously not everything has worked out as my teenage self would have liked to seen them. So how are your dreams? Are they on track this morning? Have your youth, youthful ideas let you down as well? Um, so if you're like me and your childhood dreams aren't exactly panning out, then join me in a reevaluation. The first thing we have to look at is happiness. Usually we think that what our dreams are, what we want is the key to our happiness. If I can just get that job, or if I can just make that, get the business and own the certain house and be in a certain place in life, I'm sure then there would be plenty of happiness. Somehow we always expect that those things will bring will automatically bring happiness, but Um, Yet many times, those things have left me feeling rather empty, and they come up short, and they let me down. So you would think that I would learn after the first letdown or two that these things don't bring happiness, but no, we press on. We find other things to focus on and go for in our lives to try to fulfill this need in our lives. So this may sound sacrilegious, and it's not, I don't, I, just bear with me for a minute. But God wants us to be happy, fulfilled people, okay? The problem is, is when we take it into our own hands and try to perform it on our own terms. I wanted to read a, a couple of verses real quickly out of Psalm Um, 106, um, 13 and 
Psalm 106, 13 through 15. And this is talking about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. They soon forgot his works, and they did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he, God, gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. That's a really sobering verse. They were begging for something that they thought would bring them happiness, and God gave them that thing, but also with it came leanness of soul. And as I was pondering this and thinking about Christianity today in America, do you remember the um, parable of the sower? And he says, that, you know, some seed fell on the path, some on the stones, um, some in the... Um, Shallow earth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 says about, and this is what I believe closely represents American Christianity. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. The parallel to that in Mark four eighteen says, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in. Desires for other things enter in and choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. I believe the reason for the general fall of Christianity in America is unfruitfulness caused by a mixture with other things. The natural result of a mixture in our worship or a mixture of priorities is leanness of soul. So when we unwittingly turn to idolatry, because what we um, hold on to becomes our master or our, sir, our, our Lord, um, we, we will slip into, we will have fear in our lives. Um, if we live double-mindedly, we will have fear. And fear because we have concern about not having much fruit in our lives. I've had that concern of ponder this, like, why am I not producing more fruit? And then fear because I'm holding on to um, the comforts of this life and the wealth or the lack thereof and my goals and dreams. And so I'm trying to pull these two worlds together and hold on tightly. And there's just um, a bondage and a fear. You, you can't win. Now, some people say that um, the Matthew thirteen twenty two Christian has it all. He's saved and he's wealthy. Yet he finds himself wrestling in spiritual apathy and concerns over his possessions. We have, as a culture, become so risk-adverse. Um, a risk-adverse culture is not free. They're in bondage to safety and comfort. We can't 
easily go and um, break chains or, or go and serve boldly because we're afraid of losing some of our comforts. Um, even a secular business knows that fear of unknown and discomfort becomes barriers to progress and growth. Um, you can't have fear of unknown and grow as a business or grow as an employee. You need to take those risks and do those uncomfortable things, and you may find a new strength if you do so. So what's it take to be free and to break free from these bondages? Freedom to experience the joy and fullness that God actually wants for us. What if you had what if I had nothing to lose but just wholeheartedly jump into the work of God's kingdom? Um, you would be a pioneer. A pioneer is someone who dares to go where few will go. I believe that God has placed a pioneer spirit in each of us to some degree, and if we don't nurture it, we may lose it. So I have a couple examples that I wanted to look at. Um, The story of Gideon, Judges chapter 6, is where I'll be reading. I really like this story of Gideon. Here's a normal guy in a very difficult situation. Um, I'll read the first few verses here to get the setting. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, that means planted, like planted crops, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east, and would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth from Gaza, as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. They would come up with their livestock and tents, coming in as numerous as locusts before they, both they and their camels, and without number they would enter the land and destroy it. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they were experiencing a very difficult situation, and... Verse 11, we'll pick up the story there. Um, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. Threshing wheat, you want breeze to get the chaff out of the wheat. There wasn't much wheat to start with, he was doing it down in a, a pit where they trample grapes. I don't think they had grapes that year. So he was trying to thresh wheat down in this pit to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, 
The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> All he was doing was hiding from the Midianites trying to thresh this little bit of wheat. And he was hailed a mighty man of valor. Um, and Gideon said, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? And we are all his, where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of Midianites. Have I not sent you? Then he continues and disqualifies himself or tries to. He says, listen, I'm from one of the weakest, smallest, most insignificant families. And what, what is in me? What was in him? He had a level of tenacity and, and um, grit. He was doing what he could. He recognized an authority, a the being of this angel, capital angel, and he wanted to ask some questions to God. Have you ever wanted to ask God some questions? Um, maybe that's okay. To Lord, I really want to ask you some questions. I don't get it. But the Lord saw a strength in him and a faith in him that was probably very small, Go in this little bit of strength. Behold, I have sent you. And it wasn't even, the emphasis wasn't on his strength, really. It was all God's doing, as you can see in the story progresses. So he sacrificed a sacrifice to the Lord, which was a, a large gift. I mean, a, a young animal and some bread, I think. And so when they were impoverished and very hungry. This was a quite a sacrifice. And the Lord touched it and it burned and he vanished in the smoke. So then we see in verse 23 that the Lord shows up and gives him a command. As the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there and called on the name of the called it, the Lord is peace. Sorry, I, I was reading the wrong verse there. I was reading 24. Okay, so the Lord gave him a command um, to go to his father's idols I'm, I'm skipping the verse here. Verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God and on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So he took ten men and he performed it that night because he was afraid of the men of the place. So he went and did it. That was risky. He took and destroyed his father's idols 
And um, the men of the city were angry. They said, bring him out. Let's kill him because he destroyed Baal. And his father took up for him and said, you will not touch him because if, if Baal really is a god, let Baal defend himself. So the people were subdued. And then it's, it continues in um, verse 33. Right after that incident, all the Midianites and Amalekites of the people of the east gathered together to cross over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. That, that right there is what I want to focus on. He was obedient in something that was risky and um, dangerous. And then when the enemy started marching against them, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. I don't know that the Spirit of the Lord would have been there upon him if he would have not first acted in obedience and get rid of an idol. So we'll come back to that. Um, well, you know the story. If you don't, I challenge you to read it. I don't have time to read the whole story, but... The men of Israel gather together, and God says, Gideon, you got too many people. So he has them go drink from the water, and there was very few. I can't remember all the procedures, but it was ended up being just 300 men with Gideon. And God says, okay, that's, that's good. That's a small enough number. And here you have over a million armed Midianites with camels and you have 300, and you're supposed to go and fight this battle. And God says, go do it. And, you know, the beautiful thing in that scenario is God got all the glory. They completely were destroyed. The Midianites were completely destroyed and um, lost the battle. They, Gideon and his men circled the camp with trumpets and a torch under a jar, and then he broke the jar and blew the trumpets. That would have been a fun battle to be a part of. But it was only because this man acted in obedience and followed by faith to do what God asked him to do. Even though it did not make any sense, it was dangerous. So next I want to um, talk about another man that's not in the Bible. Charles Thomas Studd, or C.T. Studd. You may have heard of this man. He was born in England around 1860. His father was a wealthy businessman and became a Christian during a Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey campaign. Charles was known for his athletic skills. And when I looked up um, C.T. Studd on Wikipedia, that the first page is just all his cricket stats, um, his style, his right-handedness, or his speed, and his wins and losses. And I thought, is this a different CT stud? I thought I was looking for this other guy. Well, it was the same guy. So he was known for his athletics, and he played for Eton College, and then later transferred over to Trinity College of Cambridge. Um, and he had a bright future. Um, Charles had two brothers, and all three of them accepted Christ while a visiting pastor was at their home. 
during the time when they were in Eton College. After graduating from college, Charles's brother fell deathly ill. He was, Charles was faced with a question. What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes face to face with eternity? He admitted that, um, okay, so his conclusion was, cricket won't last, honor and fame won't last, nothing in the world would last, but it was worth living for the world to come. When faced with eternity, he realized all of this stuff is just passing by. And there is an eternity that is worth living for. His response to God's call in his life is to live for eternal purpose and was to go serve in China under Hudson Taylor. So he went all in. He gave up his professional career and he went to China and served under Hudson Taylor's mission. And of his mission work, Charles said, Some want to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That is the -the on-the-edge Christian living that C.T. Studd wanted to live for his God with eternal perspective. He wanted to make a difference. Um. God blessed him with a wife and three daughters while in China, um, where he lived for about 15 years. Then he pastored a church in southern India for six years. After that, he started multiple missions in Africa. While he was serving in China, his father passed away and left him a large sum of money. And what did he do with it? He gave it away to all the missions. Talk about all in for eternal values. C.T. Studd wrote a poem that you may be familiar with. It has the phrase repeated in it, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And how well he lived that out. There's a natural um, tendency in boys to want to do a little bit risky things sometimes and well climbing trees or jumping from one thing to the next and I'm trying to keep my boys from doing that with our furniture at home but they've created an art out of it and it's called parkour I think I'm saying that right and um, parkour is the art of getting from point A to point B in the most creative way possible Why walk down the hallway when you could do flips, a cartwheel, and swing from the lights? Um, This is literally an art called parkour that um, is is real dramatic and dangerous that people do crazy things um, just to um, be on the Internet, I suppose. Um, And you look around, and there are people everywhere doing crazy stunts, dangerous acts of ridiculousness just to have a thrill 
um, or like I said, to be on the internet. People risk their lives doing these things. They risk their lives to get a selfie. Scary things that don't make any sense at all. But did you know that God put that in us? And what you're seeing, what you're seeing on um, the internet with these crazy people is really a lost version being expressed. But what God wants to do is take that risk factor that men and boys kind of are drawn towards and use it for the kingdom and risk um, risk our security, risk our comfort for the kingdom of God. This is aggravating, but I just lost my spot. Bear with me for a second. Parkour. So there is Gideon tearing down the town's idols. That's going to go over well. And then fight a million armed Midianites with 300 men with pots, clay pots, and trumpets. That's risky. But wait, he pulled it off, and everybody cheers. And God was glorified. And there's C.T. Studd giving up a professional sport. That's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that for the mission? Why would he trade that for the mission and risk his life? You know, having children and Inner China back in the late 1800s, that was risky too. And yet God protected him. God was with them. It's not safe following God in a reckless way, but it's fun. Um, it can be so rewarding. And I'm, I'm speaking out of maybe the inverse of that. It is so depressing to live a Christian life and hold back and hold back and not let go and let God. It is a very disappointing Christian life. We will not feel the satisfaction and the joy that he has for us in serving as these men have. So what about you? What about I? Are we living our comfort in our comfort zone and having... Um, and living... Sorry, are we living out of our comfort zone and living for eternal gain or are we just getting out of life what life has to offer? I have to remember Charles' unhappiness before, while he was a Christian but holding back. He was holding on to cricket and fame and money. Just like Gideon, Charles had to get rid of some idols in his life before he could be filled with the Spirit. We also 
can expect that we will not be filled with that fullness of joy if we have a mixture of allegiance in us, if we have idols in our lives. We are living, leaving a legacy. Um, fathers, it doesn't matter how you live and what your priorities are. You're leaving it for your children and your grandchildren to sort it out. And we all, our mothers, we are leaving a legacy. What we worship in actuality will grip our children's hearts a whole lot more than what we say we worship. And I wish there was such a thing as an idle meter that we could hook up, something like an EKG, snap it on, and in a couple of days plug it up to the computer and see what our object of worship is, what, are, what is highest importance to us. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it clearly the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it many other things? Who knows? Google probably already has that data on us. Um, so I want to ask you, and you may raise your hands to this question. It's nothing personal. Um, who knows their grandparents' names? Everybody should know their grandparents' names. All right. Does everybody know their great-grandparents' names? We've got a few hands. Great. All right. What about your great-great-grandparents' names? Anybody? I don't know my great-great-grandparents' names. But it's interesting that just in a few short generations, people fade off of the map. They just, we don't think of them anymore. And they had a family, a church, a life. They had struggles and victories and joys and sorrows and dreams just like us. Um, what we don't often ponder is how their choices, the choices of our great-grandparents, affect us today, either for blessing or for otherwise. Um, we want to make an impact, and we want to carry the baton, if you will, and successfully hand it to our children. Because life is brief, and we really don't have time to mess around and live unintentionally. And I wonder, have you ever, have you suffered through the um, biblical genealogies anytime recently? Matthew chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but it starts out with a lot of begets. And you can go from generation to generation and in a matter of second, you can just pass over generation after generation all the way up to Jesus. And it's like a giant footsteps through time, through history. Boom, 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 through history. It's, it's quick. Just reading it, it's quick. And then you realize that, that same rhythm and pace went from great-grandfather, who we don't really know, our grandfathers, our fathers, and now it's us. We're here. We're in this little slot of time from when it was handed to us to when we're going to hand it off. We are up. 
It's our turn. Many older people wish to go back and do a rerun. They have regrets. But Grandfather Time will not allow it. There's only one chance, and you cannot back up. It is our turn to live with purpose so that when we are old, we don't look back with regret. Are we instilling... Is our Lord really Jesus Christ and are our children picking up on that? Uh, I want to be careful to say we, we do teach our children the gospel, but they catch more than they hear. And so if... If I'm inconsistent and yet I'm teaching the word, guess what they're going to follow? They're going to follow what I'm doing, not just what I'm teaching. But we do need to be teaching the word. Men, you, you need to be leading out in family worship. And um, please do better than I do. Um, but God is on our side. Um, we have... A, a Lord who is very interested in our success in living out for the, our lives out for the kingdom and passing it on to the next generation. Um, with this same concept of generations and passing of time, I consider our church, and, you know, my grandfather helped build this building, and he helped build the church. Two separate things. The building is not the church. The church is the group that worships So back in the 50s, a group of diverse pioneers moved to this area, seeking God and living out their convictions. And, you know, we don't lift them too highly, for they made their mistakes. Neither do we down them harshly for their mistakes, for they faithfully carried the baton. They had to work hard and make a living back in those days. And yet they poured themselves into the church, wrestling with problems and needs and finding solutions. Now that they're gone, it's our turn. They have given us a starting point, not a resting place. In some ways, it feels as though we've been trying to coast on their convictions and accomplishments. And I say this to myself, but it seems like maybe my generation has been weak in stepping up and owning responsibility and leadership. We are to take this moment, this life, and stand up and own our convictions and lead and take what we've been given and build upon it. Let's run this race together. I wanted to close out with the verse that's on the board, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's going to really matter in 300 years? 300 years. That's a deep thought, I know. But in 300 years, I want to be in some band of worshipers, just worshiping the king. And I want my children there. And I want my grandchildren there. I want my great-grandchildren there. And I want you all to be there. And I want my coworkers to be there. And I want your coworkers to be there. But it doesn't come naturally. It comes with very um, intentional living. And sometimes maybe a little radical living. And getting out of our little comfort zone and getting a little crazy, if, that's, if I can use that. But God bless you as you live out the Christian faith. Thank you.